Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 133 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Verbanis, and as always, I'm joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there. That would be Mr. Bob Lucius. Oh, Bob? Hey, you, Bob. What's the good word? How's tricks treating you? Rick, I, I'm not sure, but this sounds like a repeat. A little bit, but <laughs> say, say, Bob, you excited for today's gig, pal? Are you are you speaking to me in a, a 1930s uh, lingo? Yeah, you're the, close, the li Bob. Lingua you're, franca. You are close. I I am I am saying uh, hello to you in uh -huh. uh, the colloquium of 1920s. Ooh. Oh, the 1920s. Uh, okay. Yes. Uh, in fact, right. we we are. I chose that. I've actually looked, you know, for 1929 in honor of our guest today. I'm pretty sure that was the year he was born. So um, we're, we're having uh, uh, a guest on the show, uh, Chris Norton, who is known affectionately in the Facebook group as Capman. And so he is uh, our guest on the show for our Nightcap series. The first in our Nightcap series, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's the premiere issue, the premiere edition of this. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Bob, tell me, how's your week going? Pretty good so far, Rick. You know, no complaints, but it's, you know, it's Wednesday. Right? <laughs> so, uh, and I do, I know, I know we're, you know, we're recording off schedule this week because I had a pop-up track meet. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Did you pull a hammy? Are you okay? I, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I made it up to the top level of the bleachers without much of an incident. Sometimes you were winded though. Admit I was a little winded getting up there, but uh, yeah, those are, uh, those are really um, terrible events. Mm -hmm. um, so I, saw the, I, I can I say saw that the... because I, I know my son's not listening to this, nor will he ever. So I'm right. um, pretty, pretty safe in that regard, but yeah, it was uh, gosh, they go on. They're like four hour events. Yeah. I saw, I saw the picture of you and Casey and sitting in the bleachers. You had the look of, ah, yeah, but, uh, uh, I wish I'd brought food and, and water. <laughs> well, you get so, you get uh, you get yeah. good points, uh, dad points and mom points for for yeah. doing the show. I did the same thing over the weekend. Um, I and I think you saw my picture. I did. You're out doing road guard. Man I was. I was. So, yeah. uh, my my daughter, who's uh, a junior in high school, she is been in color guard for years, and now she's in winter guard. You know, during the winter, it's which is an internal sport um without the marching band and all that so this is a, a much more a dramatic arts type of thing but it's also a sport right because they're they're twirling uh flags i said twirl oh my god she would kill me spin spin <laughs> oh yeah they don't twirl that's a different thing yeah yeah they yeah. spin flags and mm -hmm. rifles and sabers and yeah. uh man they it's amazing these the choreo choreography of, of this is yeah. they're just fantastic yeah. but anyway so i was out there um during our home show they needed you know we're doing logistics and i always do logistics so i was out there for about eight hours directing traffic mm. making a lot of friends oh yeah that's that's one way to make friends yeah mm. tell them they can't park there yeah <laughs> <laughs> right yeah yeah no. I love that name Winter Guard too, you know, because it does sound like it would be like a Soviet error. I know, right? Or something. So it's very, very like ear catching, right? It is. It is. Winter Guard. Yeah. 
Uh, I do have a question for you, Bob, because I was yeah. very concerned, and I and I I know some of our listeners, at least at least one, was probably concerned about something that you had said on the show a few weeks ago, yeah. when you said that you were going to go visit a couple of old Marine buddies, yeah. right? Yeah. And then you were like, they one of them said, "Hey, you remember blank? I don't know the guy's name, Charlie, or whatever." Right? Hey, yeah. do you do you remember him? And you're like. Yeah drawing a blank you're like i have yeah. no idea who this guy is and you were yeah. really concerned that you were losing your memory yeah. tell the listeners that's not the case okay well i i will just as i told you last episode Rick. you didn't tell um, me during the episode uh, you told I, me off air oh did i <laughs> i thought maybe you lost your memory i don't know <laughs> i i hope to god it was off air or else i'm just <laughs> okay well, everybody everybody skip forward two minutes now <laughs> it went fine i did not know him nor did he know me he he had he had known my two friends from a different period of their career, which was shortly after I had left. So that was nice. And, and you know how nervous I was about that, uh, that weekend, right? Because I hadn't seen these guys for, you know, 15, 20 years. And, uh, and, you know, we've all changed quite a bit in those years. And I was deathly afraid that either you know, something political was going to come up or, you know, whatever. And it was just mm -hmm. going to torpedo the whole weekend, but it actually, it, it turned out great. It was great. We avoided all those conversations and well, that's good. Really, I'm really, really a great weekend. And I, I think, I think we have a, a listener who's probably relieved. I think, <laughs> I think the rest are like, what is he talking about? They were all on pins and needles. I'm sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, speaking of pins and evil, we've got a really cool announcement on who our, our next guest is going to be at next episode. Um, we it, it's going to tie in, Bob, it's going to tie in with the March Madness bracket mm. and stick around to the end of the episode and we'll, we'll announce who that guest is going to be. All right. So I'm really, really excited about that. I, I'm going to stick around. Yeah. Um, birthdays coming up, Bob. There's a few birthdays uh, some with some Captain, Captain America creators uh, coming up here in a couple of days on April 28th, Dick Ayers. All right. You know, I like Dick. <laughs> should have said that. What the heck was that? <laughs> did, did, oh, that's you wanna... I know you're, you're going to clip that one. And oh, hell no. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's, you know, it's Did you want to finish your sentence, Bob? I think it was a little abbreviated. Yeah, Dick Ayers, also, you know, well-known on uh, Sergeant Fury. So, you know, yeah. God bless him. Yeah, celebrating a birthday April twenty eighth, and then Tim Sale celebrating a birthday yeah. May first. Uh, well, when I say celebrate, yeah. would have been his birthday. We're celebrating for him. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to celebrate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Tim Sale, uh, fantastic artist on Captain America White, mm -hmm. um, and then you know he did all those series with Jeff Loeb, um, and uh, I actually just won a piece from uh captain america white issue number five hmm. um i just won it on auction i haven't gotten it in hand yet but when i do i will definitely uh sh share it in the uh in the facebook group but it's a really cool piece i had i actually had a uh, a piece from this uh series and that is specific issue i had the very last page and it was really cool. It was Captain America riding away in modern time on his motorcycle, holding up his shield with a flag in the background, you know, and it was like mm -hmm. a very dramatic uh, uh, page. And I really did like it. I didn't love it, but I really did like it. And um, I ended up trading that for another piece. 
And and I, I did kind of regret it that I, I let yeah. that piece go. Yeah. So when when these pages came up, um, there was like five different pages of the first the first six pages, actually, of uh, issue five of Captain America White. And I got page four, which is really cool. Um, just to set the scene, there's uh, Red Skull has Bucky on top of a Zeppelin flying over Paris. And he's got, you know, bombs uh, on it and he's going to go blow up Paris and he's going to kill Bucky, but Captain America is there and he commandeers the, uh, a Nazi motorcycle. And he's like, I'll get you skull. Right. And he, he goes and he drives up the angle of the Eiffel tower. You know how it kind of comes out. Right. Right. Yeah. And he, he goes up that jumps off the motorcycle to get on top of the Zeppelin. And so I have the page where he's driving up, the Eiffel Tower, and it's got some cool close-ups of the Red Skull and Bucky and and Paris and everything. So yeah, Not I'm excited to get Rick, that. But I, I think it's pronounced Awful Tower. Just awful so, Tower. Yeah, just so you know. Okay, yeah. I'll be sure to remember that. <laughs> and and to our two listeners in France, I apologize. <laughs> what what I uh, was some cartoon my my kids watch one of those movies right where they called it the Awful Tower. They oh yeah, pronounced it. Oh, the yeah, uh, I, I thought maybe you knew that what that was because I certainly don't remember what show it was. No, but. no, but I do apologize actually. Oh. And I may have told this joke before, but I love this joke. Um, the words I'm sorry and I apologize mean the same thing unless you're at a funeral. <laughs> True, that yes, you have told that before, and it's equally funny this time. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Anyway, so those are the birthdays coming up. Um, yeah. So let's talk about uh, what we're, we're doing today uh, with the with the Nightcap series. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give a little credit out there to a different podcast. Um, the, the, this podcast is called Josie's Bar. And if you're a Daredevil fan, you might recognize that name. Josie's Bar is a place in hell's kitchen that matt foggy karen might go to and so um these two ladies formed this podcast and uh they named it after josie's bar and it basically they do what we do they cover the daredevil comics panel by panel except they do it a little differently they do they started with episode one was issue one episode two issue two and so they're going through all the the issues and i think they're up to episode 76 now Um, but they start their show by talking about what drinks that they are choosing for that particular podcast because it's josie's bar right Right. so it kind of fits into that so i kind of stole that idea when when we were talking about the nightcap and i thought it'd be a lot of fun to do that now and we're tying it in to a, um, I guess, a, I don't want to, what do you call it? A perk, right? Perk. Yeah. For, for our patrons of our show. And so one of the perks of the patrons of our show is if you are at the super soldier level, which is the, the highest you can do, um, you get to be a guest on the show once a year and you get to pick the topic. So what better way than to combine the two than to uh, have 
uh, our guest on the show today. Um, and a couple of other perks that you're at, and we'll talk about that today is one of them is the challenge coin, the what would cap do challenge coin. So we'll talk about that in a minute too. If you are interested in becoming a patron or learning more about that, just go to our website. It's Captain America comic book fans.com. And you can learn more about being a patron on the show. And we certainly do appreciate it. Um, the other thing we do appreciate are five-star reviews and Bob, Ask me if we have a new five-star review. Rick, do we have one? No. Oh. I know. I, 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 didn't we? <laughs> like, what, what's going on? I meant on? to leave one. I keep forgetting. It's falling off a yeah. cliff. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute, too. But we've left, we've left uh, our guest in the green room, I think, long enough. Um, so I think it's time to, to bring on our guest for the Nightcap series. And that is... One Mr. Chris Norton, aka Catman. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. All right. Yeah, we 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 appreciate you being on the show. We appreciate you being a patron of the show. It's uh, you know, you you have been uh, also very, very uh vocal and frequent in the the Facebook group, um, you know, giving a lot of uh, caps wisdoms as you uh tend to post uh which Love are always that feature. Yeah, always fun yeah. to see. So, yeah, yeah, we appreciate that. And, and you've been, how long have you been on the on the Facebook group? Uh, it's been a little bit over a year now. I think it was maybe uh, January of last year, somewhere around that, that I that I got on the Facebook group. Oh, great! W what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a teacher. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've I've done a lot of different things. I got out of education for a while. Um, but currently I'm back, back in that I got pulled back into education. So, yeah. Like okay. mob, right. Yep. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Exactly. Just yeah. like Pacino. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure what you did. I just knew you had a copious amount of free time based on how many posts you do. in the Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting. Uh, you know, I, I, I got involved with the Facebook group. I've been listening to the podcast for some time prior to that. And, had thought about, you know, didn't do a lot of stuff on Facebook and was kind of hemming and hawing about whether I wanted to get, get involved or not. And um, I kind of went through a rough patch in my life. And um, as I often have done throughout my life, when I go through a rough patch, I kind of turned to cap. And so that that's kind of what got me to, uh, to go ahead and take the plunge. And uh, it's, it was, it was uh, really meaningful and helpful to me during that rough patch. And now that things are, uh, going rather smoothly again. I'm still uh, having a great time and uh, it's, it's, it's a great group, great bunch of people. Well, fantastic. Well, I we, we, that. yeah, yeah. Cap's there for all of us Yeah. Uh, on one level or another. He means, he means something to each one of us in a different way. All right. So I uh, indulge me here. I'm going to do a, a little bit of a, I guess a little introduction on nightcap. Uh, and I might actually, Bob, you know, I, I, I edit these podcasts, but I don't like do special effects or anything like that, but I might add some I music. <laughs> you just do that when you're listening, <laughs> but I do the explosions and the oh, <laughs> those special effects. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's my job. No, that's you just do. Part. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, Bob, you just do effects. Way to downgrade me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right so so yeah so we're going to talk about nightcap and you know one of the things that uh that the expression nightcap's been around for a long time and when i looked it up 
it could mean a, a couple different things. Now, a nightcap is something that, you know, let, let's let's go to uh, the night before Christmas, right? Right. Uh, Ma and her kerchief and I and my cap, right? Nightcaps were a thing back in the day. And, and, and people wore them to bed because it was cold. And, and that was the, the reason behind it. And so uh, that's where the expression came from. Then nightcap became something else where it was, well, here's a little cocktail before bed to help me sleep. And so then that kind of expression came in, into its own. And then I think people have taken it to a whole nother level. So, so uh, yeah. We're going to start the nightcap series by asking uh, what each one of us uh, is, what is your drink of choice tonight for the show? And so we're going to let, uh, we're going to let Chris go first since he's our guest. All right. Well, thanks. Um, I actually don't uh, drink as much as I used to. My system has decided to tell me that all the things that I used to love to do, uh, all my favorite foods and things, right. <laughs> when you get to a certain age, uh, you know, your system says, oh, we're done with that. You've had enough of that. You've <laughs> done it. And uh, so I, uh, but I thought for tonight I would, I would uh, make a, a special uh, uh, exception and I'm actually just splitting a beer with my wife, but uh, it's uh, it's uh, Great Lakes Elliot Ness Amber Lager. Oh, uh, yes. So. All right, that looks Elliot good. Ness, very nice. Yeah, and Which and I, the 30s, you know. <laughs> yeah, and I should, I should rephrase. I know I made a joke that the reason I did 1929 was because our guest was born that age. Obviously, you look great for 1929. Uh, yeah, but no, the topic of uh, that that Chris chose today was to do with um, Steve Rogers and the Great Depression and how he was, um, I guess, influenced by living in the Great Depression. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So that's that's why uh, I mentioned that. So I, I apologize before I forgot to say that. But Bob, Rick. What's your poison, Bob? All right. Well, in honor of uh, Steve Rogers' uh, Irish heritage, I've gone with a Jameson's Irish whiskey Ooh. on the rocks for tonight. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. It's, well, you know, it's a couple fingers. <laughs> maybe, maybe four. <laughs> Five at most. All right. It's a hand. Um, it's a hand. Oh, let's face it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got a fistful of Jameson's Irish. There you go. Yeah. All right. Very nice. And yourself, Rick? What do you? What's your poison tonight? Well, Bob, uh, I'm I'm going to probably answer this question every single time we do this bit, and yeah. uh, and that is because I I have a, a regular, and I and what I do is I have um, I'm a vodka guy, mm -hmm. and I do half cranberry, half seltzer with lime. Oh, nice. So is, is technically, a, it's a Cape a, Cod. Is that but, a is that a paper parasol? I see. It is, and I I like to keep my pinky up when I drink it. Uh, <laughs> no, but actually, it is it is uh, in my Captain America tumbler that my daughter bought me. All right. Yes, uh, it, I I like it because it has a very large straw, and I yeah. can drink it quicker. Yeah. You know yeah. what I miss from living up in the, they don't have them down here, Rick. Uh, I don't, maybe they, I'm sure they must have them in, in Western, you said Western New York, right? Yeah. Um, lime Rickies. I what, don't, what are those? 
So it's it's sort of like a seltzer water with uh with some lime juice and like a little bit of like a raspberry flavoring. And used to get them at all like the uh, you know the ice cream stands up in. I grew up in the Northeast, up in Massachusetts, but um, you know Vermont, New Hampshire. If you went to like one of the you know mom and pop ice cream parlors, you get a you get a raspberry lime ricky or or just the lime ricky, which would just be the lime juice and the seltzer water. But somehow it was always so good in the summer. But uh, they they don't sell them down here, so. Anyway, I just you lost to... me, Bob. I okay. can't. I don't. I've yeah. never heard of it. Well, now that you mentioned it, I'm thinking raspberry lime Ricky and you know a couple fingers of vodka, and that might be pretty good. So, yeah. You know, okay. an interesting thing related to the Great Depression is that, you know, it, during during Prohibition in the 20s, everybody drank gin because that was pretty readily available. Nobody drank any vodka drinks, Rick, because uh, at that point the U.S. hadn't recognized the Soviet Union, so there wasn't any trade going on. It wasn't until I think about 1933, when FDR recognized the Soviet Union, that vodka then became available in the United States again. So what I hear you saying is, when I take my time machine, I shouldn't go back more than 90 years. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. When you, t- it, when you use that dot, when you'll have that Doctor Doom platform come down, make sure. Yeah. 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 If there's no vodka, I don't want to go. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's do a uh, let's do a toast. All right. To Cap. To cap, to cap. All right. Another question I would like to ask you, Chris, is what was your first Cap comic? Do you recall? Uh, I do. It was um, it was Marvel Double Feature number twelve, which was reprinting uh, Tales of Suspense number eighty eight, hmm. uh, and it had it was a Gil Kane cover. It was a Gil Kane drawn issue. And it had Cap being molested by Power Man and Sword Man on the cover, um, and that that was the very first one I remember uh, buying off the rack, um, you know, way way back in the day. And then, uh, you know, I, I I I kept buying those those reprints. The first non-reprint issue I bought was almost a year later, I think, and that was uh, that was one of the part of the Kirby uh 70s run uh mm-hmm. with the night people i don't remember the exact issue 202 or something like that maybe okay yeah so were you i mean you from the get-go were you always Catman, or were there other other books titles you were interested in? no you know when i when i first started reading comics i was really into the flash and spider-man um and i don't know what it was i i think you know i liked the gil kane art and then i liked the kirby art Uh, then in those Marvel double features, of course, they had the stories where, uh, Cap met Black Panther and I was interested in Black Panther. I found the Falcon interesting the way Kirby did him. Um, so I think it was more, um, I was into Marvel. Uh, I thought Black Panther and Falcon were interesting. I liked, I liked the art. I liked the Kirby art. And so Cap just kind of slowly grew on me, you know? Uh, and then by the time of the National Force story, I was a regular reader, And then my first subscription to any comic was the Stern Burn Run. I remember the first comic I ever got in the mail was as a 247, the very first one that 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 Burn did with Stern, with the you know Baron Strucker and Nick Fury on the cover. And it was, I still remember vividly just getting that out of the mail and how excited I was. I got to tell you, uh, all this is absolutely fascinating. But I'm still stuck on the fact when you said Cap was molested on the cover. <laughs> I well, thought these were. Know, I thought there many code. things. Okay, all right. I thought there was just the comic code authority was going on back then. But all right. Um, yeah, that no, those are pretty cool. I, you know, 
so you became a Jack Kirby fan pretty early. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I um, I think I went through the process that a lot of guys go through with Kirby, where, you know, initially I liked him. Not so much that I really like actually knew his name. He was kind of ubiquitous with those older issues. You know, the, the first artist by name that I really got into is John Byrne. Mm. But um, but I but I really kind of ended up not liking Kirby as I got older and as in my teens, you know, I was like, oh, it's all cartoony and I can't stand that cartooniness. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until later, you know, when I was older again that I came back to Kirby and said, wow, the guy's a genius. I love him, you know. You know, I I think I I went that same path, except I didn't start liking him. I mm-hmm. went right into the oh, he's cartoony and I didn't care for him. And that was because back then being, being in comics wasn't cool. And so you, you would get made fun of my, I know my dad, he, you know, he, he didn't understand. He was like, uh, what are you doing with those funny books? You know? And, and he, it wasn't a serious story. It wasn't serious medium. And so I always like looked at Kirby and I was like, ah, he's just drawing like from a coloring book, you know? And it just, it, it made me, you know, I was embarrassed to be a comic fan because it was like so cartoony to your point. And then it wasn't until I became an adult and learned a little bit more about art and the genius behind him and, and everything that he, not, and I'm, not just his creativity, but, you know, his, his work on the page, um, you know, I, it was, then I, I kind of was almost embarrassed of myself that was like, oh, I can't believe I actually thought that. Yeah, yeah. So, so much of Kirby is almost unquantifiable stuff. You know, it's the composition. It's, it's just the sheer power and energy that comes out uh, of, of his work. You know, um, it's uh, I think, you know, he, I think he truly is. If, if comics has produced a genius artist, he was he was the one. Right. Tribute right there. Your favorite creative team then was was John Byrne for Cap? I think probably. Team wise, it was probably the Stern Burn, you know, mm-hmm. um, or or maybe Lee Kirby. I even like Lee Lee Colin a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but my favorite writer, as, as you know, Rick, it's the same as yours, is uh, J.M.D. Mateus. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, he made it to the final four. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he made it to the final four. Yeah. Uh, well, do you, I, okay. We're gonna throw the J.M.D. Mateus interview out what was your favorite podcast episode so far no oh, well, if i can't pick uh, d mateus i guess i'd probably pick the um the Engelhart interview um Ooh, i like yeah. i like uh, Engelhart's work a lot and i really enjoyed his interview um but and, and in general uh you know I, I always like it when you guys do the special episodes the the top 10 villains the top 10 retcons you mm-hmm. know things like that those are always a lot of fun i enjoy those a lot all right. Do you have any well, suggestions for uh, for a top ten? You know, um, I think at one point I had I had mentioned on the the Facebook about you know like top ten speeches. Uh, he's made so many though. How how do you yes. how do you begin to whittle that down? I, I don't know. You know. Yeah, and it's hard. I mean, it's hard because like folks are like, wow, I know he did this speech about this, and then they got to spend like the next four hours like trying to find the issue that it was yeah. in. Right? Yeah, right. it is a little tough. Yeah, it's yeah. not as easy. So it's as a great a idea. Cover though. though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be fun. So, yeah. Although we, we could just say, see cat, do search Catman posts. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then they right? could find most of them, and then they could pick from those. Maybe. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 Um. So. 
so Chris, t- take us through what you wanted to cover today. Um, cause it was an interesting topic when you brought it to us in, in, it was, you know, you have a lot of knowledge about the great depression and Steve Rogers grew up in the great depression mm-hmm. and you wanted to talk about how the great depression influenced him. And then, and then you wanted to tie it in with the, uh, what would cap do challenge coin. So take us, take us through that. Yeah. So I, uh, when I, I was out of teaching for quite a number of years and one of the jobs I had for, uh, for about eight years, I ran a gallery uh, that was dedicated to uh, WPA art, which was government funded art from the Great Depression. Uh, we had a collection of over 200 of those. And, um, you know, it's, it's good solid art, but it's not, it's not Jack Kirby, you know. Uh, so part of what made it interesting was the era that the art came from and what that was all about. So there was a lot of historical things that we did in relationship to, to the gallery that we had. And as far as I know, it's still the only gallery that is dedicated to WPA art uh, in the world. Um, because they they always are showing WPA art. But um, so I, I became very interested in the Great Depression uh, through that job. And, uh, you know, I thought, what, what, what could I bring to a podcast? And I thought, you know, I have all this knowledge of the Great Depression. Uh, Steve grew up in the Great Depression. And, you know, superheroes began during the Great Depression, right? Um, Superman was created in the late 1930s. Batman, late 1930s, you know, Submariner, Human Torch. Um and uh, so I always kind of wondered, uh, you know, what what would it what was it about growing up in New York City during the Great Depression that that might have influenced Steve Rogers to be the way he is, you know, to have the values he has, the the way that he acts, you know, especially what allowed him to wake up many years, depending on the sliding scale, you know, however many years, and um, and and not be like completely, you know, driven insane by things, but being able to adjust to things, you know, even if you just look at him in the sixties, when he came back in the sixties, you know, he, he very easily accepted Sam Wilson as a friend and a partner, you know? So what, what, if, if he, if he is this guy, what was it about the thirties that might've, might've influenced him? So uh, when I was talking with you, Rick, about, you know, what, what the show might entail, you know, we talked about the challenge coin and that the challenge coin has those virtues of cap uh and maybe we could kind of go through those and look at how growing up in the great depression might have influenced those things and when i was looking at them thinking about uh tonight you know i really thought gosh you can put put them together into two groups of four you know there's like there's do for others empathy compassion humility and sacrifice they all kind of fit to me under that kind of umbrella and then the other one is do it right um and i you know i kind of picked that phrase because it fits along with do for others there are other ways you could say it, of course, but honesty, integrity, courage, and perseverance all kind of fit under that umbrella. So, you know, I was thinking we could kind of look at those those two things, look at kind of some seminal stories, uh, his origin, you know, Mad Bomb, uh, you know, Cap for Prez and things like that, and and look at, you know, his behavior in those stories and how maybe growing up in the Depression might have influenced uh, Cap's reaction to some of these things. Yeah, I, I think it's a fascinating topic, um, and can't wait to dive into it. I, I'm just I'm, I'm I'm excited about this. All right, well, where do you want to see? Bob loves anything; he just has to show up for. <laughs> what, what, all right, so let's put Chris, it this way: when my wife gave birth to my son, I showed up, and then I went down and I had some chili. 
So are, are we talking I, about when, <laughs> when she gave birth? Are we talking about yeah, uh, when, the yeah, conception? She, no, <laughs> but I think I had a Sunday after that, but whatever. It's, it's immaterial. Yeah. All right. Okay. Now, speaking of your wife, your lovely yeah. wife, your uh, amazing. Oh, wife. I knew you were going to go here. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's a lovely lady. I, I, lovely I've lady. only chatted with her briefly. I don't, I don't have Skip a whole lot way. of personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of personal interaction with her, but we're friends on Facebook and, you know, uh, and, and just the, you know, the yeah. stuff that she, yeah. she writes and everything. Uh, I think she's a, you know, uh, a very amazing person. Amazing. So yes. Yeah. Um, so she, she, she wanted to join the Facebook group, right? Yes, she did. And so she, yes. I guess you wanted to comment on something, yeah. right? Because we're in a public group. Anybody can we see are. it, right? Rules have and, changed. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a public group. Yeah. And so she wanted to comment on something you posted. And so uh, I accepted, you know, it was like, oh, sure. Casey yeah. can be, I know she'll be yeah. a great member. Yeah, I can. And then, citizen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I see, um, I, I, every once in a while, you know, cause I can't, I can't be on the group all the time. No. And, uh, so we have moderators, right. And you yeah. and, and, uh, Heath, Heath and, and Daniel, and Daniel do an yeah. amazing job. I know their names. Thank you. Okay. And, uh, they, they do amazing job helping out on the, on the group. And, um, I go in every once in a while just to check the activity log, you know, like eh, what's everybody doing. And, uh, I see in there. This very interesting things that Bob that you did yes. in the group. Yeah. And it says here. Yeah. I, I'm pulling it up. Yeah. What? You don't even remember. You can't remember it. There's like four words. No, no, Bob. There was three acts here. And I just <laughs> Robert Lucius declined Casey Lucius's request to participate. Robert Lucius banned Casey Lucius from the group. <laughs> Robert Lucius revoked Casey Lucius's ability to participate. <laughs> there you go. And I was so, like, oh, no. <laughs> and then Rick wrote me and I said, you don't need to be in my safe space. <laughs> uh, I, I get it. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, but I just, <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to mention it. I'm uh, perfectly fine. I, my, my safe space. Okay. No, I, I get it. Yeah. Is that yeah. going to affect how safe things are at home for you or? What's <laughs> blink very, twice, very, Bob? It's a very, yeah, very close, very close. Yes, ah, indeed. Yes, oh, she's like, Oh, that's nice. When did you get that? <laughs> <laughs> I only needed that once. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, all right, uh, I'm sorry, Chris. Um, you, you're a longtime listener of the show, you probably know I do these things called tangents. Uh, that was a tangent. I, I apologize for interrupting. Please continue. <laughs> Chris, actually, before you, before we get started, yeah. I mean, not everybody is an old geezer on this show. Like, like most of us, we, we do have some, we have like a handful of folks that are under the age of, you know, 50. Um, so it <laughs> might be worth revisiting the great depression and what it was, you know, how it got started and how it affected people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where, um, we are all of a, a similar geezer era, the three of us, I think, um, you know, there were people that, that were around in the thirties when we were kids, you know, but, but now there's, you know, there's very few and anybody who's left was a kid themselves, you know, um, 
But, uh, you know, basically, you hear about the Roaring Twenties. Uh, after World War One ended, there was there was this booming economy, um, you know, and they called it the Roaring Twenties. But, uh, you know, there were a number of factors, but a lot of that that money was flowing into the hands of the people at the top. And it wasn't really flowing into the hands of everybody who was working down at the bottom. Um, so uh, eventually what happened is uh, by 1929, um, the economy really slowed down. You know, if you are one of the mega rich uh, and you get extra money, you're already spending your money on whatever you need anyways. You know, you're not going to buy extra food. You're not going to buy extra clothes, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so um, the, the, with, with the, the people, uh, the working class folks uh, not, not being able to share in all that wealth, uh, they just weren't buying. And so things started to slow down. Well, when things started to slow down, it was only logical if you're you know, running an industry or something that you're going to start making less. And if you're making less because you're selling less, you're going to lay off people. And so it became this, this cycle uh, at that time where you know, people were out of work and that caused more people to end up being out of work. Uh, you know, we always talk about the great crash, uh, but that was more of a, a symptom uh, rather than a cause of the Great Depression. But, but it's, they certainly did kind of coincide. Um, so anyways, um, it, it, it became this, uh, this sort of intractable situation. And nobody could see any way out of it. You know, Herbert Hoover was the president at the time, uh, who was a uh, smart guy. You know, he was right. a very smart guy. Yeah. He was an engineer. Uh, he was known as a great humanitarian. He had helped keep people from starving in World War One. Did you vote uh, for him, Chris? Uh, well, you know, I was only one in 1929, <laughs> so I, no, I didn't get the chance. Um, I think my father probably did. But um, so you know. Uh, uh, then you got the rise of uh, things called Hoovervilles, which mm -hmm. were encampments, uh, shanty towns outside of all the big cities because people started moving around. You know, the country was on the move in the 30s. Everybody was looking for work. Yeah. You know, if you were a young man, you know, 16 years old, 17, your, your dad might say, look, I can't feed everybody. You're going to have to go out and see if you can find yourself a job. So you get the hobos riding the rails. Uh, you get the, the, the people from the Dust Bowl. Uh, which was also this big economic and environmental disaster out in the Midwest, uh, heading mostly uh, west to California um, to look for work. So there were people all over the place looking for work during the during the 1930s, and it, you know it's at this point when people really began to 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 feel like this isn't just me. This is a bigger problem, and we're all in it together, and we need to help each other out. And there also became this great interest amongst everybody about, you know, well, what's it like for other people? Are they suffering like me? You know, what, what are their problems? What are their mm -hmm. issues? So it was it was a time of, of people really beginning to think about uh, the, the, the conditions of other people, the conditions around the country. And also about, you know, look, we we need to we're all in this together. and We all we all need to help each other. You know, FDR, who succeeded Herbert Hoover, and it was a very active president at the time said that he, he, you know, he felt that Americans needed uh, not a handout, but a hand up. Mm -hmm. And that kind of describes that kind of the ethos of that period, you know. And then right. you look at uh, New York City, where we know, you know, Steve Rogers grew up. And in the comics, it was the Lower East End, which is the same section of town that Jack Kirby grew up in, you know. Um, and there was, you know, there's a lot of poverty there. There was an area where a lot of immigrants had settled. So Steve would have been uh, in touch with, you know, people from whose families had come from all over the world, um, you know, soup kitchens, 
there were, I don't know how many, you know, thousands of soup kitchens uh, and, you know, bread lines and things like that, where you have these charitable organizations that would give out uh, soup and bread and something to drink for people who are out of work. Um, so, you know, you would, uh, uh, lining up was a big thing in the 30s. People waited in lines to hopefully get a job. They waited in lines to get, you know, soup or something like that. Um, so, you know, Steve would have saw all this and there were a lot of people that were trying to figure out how do we get out of this? Uh, you know, what kind of changes need to be made? And so there was a lot of uh, political ferment going on, you know, uh, fascists and socialists and communists, um, you know, from the two different ends of the political spectrum. And uh, then there was a, a lot of union organizing, which is kind of a fascinating thing about the 30s, where even though it was really hard to get a job, people said, we're going to get together in groups and we're going to demand that we get treated better. So the 30s was the big era of, of union getting organized. Um, and it was the there was the era also when the government began to be seen as something that existed to uh, help out people during hard times. Because before the before the Roosevelt administration, you know, you would only deal with the federal government, maybe with the post office. And that was about yeah. it. Um, so I don't know that I, I could go on forever. No, so no, I mean, that, that's fascinating. That's fascinating, right? And of course, I mean, and you're you're kind of heading into this, right? In, in in the United States, FDR took it in one direction, but in other places around the world, who were facing very similar sorts of challenges in in mm -hmm. in, uh, in uh, Western Europe and in in Asia, of course, Japan and Germany took it an entirely different direction to solve those absolutely. problems. Yep, yep, absolutely, and and that was a. A, a big part of the 30s, 30s was that fascism that was going on. You know, FDR and Hitler uh, both came to power in the same year, months apart. You know, Mussolini was already entrenched in Italy since the 20s. You know, um, uh, Japan invaded China in, in the 30s. Uh, it, Italy invaded Ethiopia. There's the Spanish Civil War. So fascism was a big part of what was going on and a possibility that people were trying to avoid. There was even... Uh, an attempt at a fascist coup here in America. Right. Yeah. Uh, Bob, you've probably heard of Smedley Butler. Um, yeah, you know, absolutely. Who blew the whistle on that coup if you've ever heard about that. You know, and it was it was so it was there was there was a lot going on in the thirties. I'll just say that. So I know Rick's familiar with old Gimlet Eye, but you know, we'll save that <laughs> for another day. I was just thinking, uh, Chris, are you in a soup kitchen right now? I, I what, what what's going on over there? Uh you hear my wife doing the dishes out in the kitchen. There. Oh, okay. All right. That's if if you're talking about what you're hearing, that's what you're hearing. Okay, yeah. I was I wasn't quite sure. I had to okay. do those before I started tonight. I did too. Oh. <laughs> I was allowed I to do the podcast. I'm doing something really important tonight. So. Yeah, oh, you are. Well, then you owe us one there. All right. Yeah. All right. So we're getting into, I guess now the the cap value number one right you you mentioned this before uh on the 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 coin some of the uh the characteristics and and you labeled them do for others and so we do have eight characteristics on the coin so you 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 you're choosing empathy compassion humility sacrifice uh and these are all and by the way when we did this coin the idea behind it was because on one side we have Captain America's shield, and the other side we have a, a it says what would Cap do, and the idea was we put the the characteristics on the outer rim of the coin so that just you know if you're in a situation and you're not sure what to do, just think what would Cap do, right? And uh, would he have humility in this situation? 
Uh, would he have empathy towards his fellow man, um, compassion? Uh, would he make a sacrifice for for someone? Uh, so, you know, let's talk about those characteristics and 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 how they they went into the comics. Yeah. So if you start right at the very beginning, you know, the origin and and kind of take it as kind of look at it holistically, not just Captain America comics number one, but what we all kind of understand is the origin and it's been added to and embellished over the years, you know, um, it's like, you know, what, what made this guy an anti-fascist? Uh, because that, you know, that's what he was. It's a year before Pearl Harbor and, you know, he, he's signing up because of what's going on, uh, you know, with Germany over in Europe. And, it's easy to see with, with Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, who were both, you know, young Jewish men, why they were anti-fascists. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, apart from the Jewish population in the U.S. in the 1930s, uh, you know, we were not the united front against fascism that was created uh, after Pearl Harbor happened, you know. Um, and, you know, there was the, uh, um, you know, there, there, there was there was a big group of uh, of people who were opposed to getting involved to the war over there, partly mm-hmm. because of what happened during World War One. World War One was this terrible, you know, terrible trench warfare, you know, modern weaponry, gas, you know, mustard gas and things like that. So after World War One, people were like, this is this is a terrible, terrible thing. Let's never do this anymore. That's why they called it the war to end all wars, you know. Um, but and but fa- and fascism was was very militaristic, you know. And so it ended up that if you didn't find a way to 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 keep it from growing a big army and and. Uh, overrunning its neighbors, uh, you know, you you would have to go to war with it. And um, it took a while for people in America to come to that realization. So, you know, I wonder about who were the people in the 30s that would have volunteered uh, to, uh, to, to try to stop fascism a year before Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it with Steve is he, one, he grew up in the Lower East Side, as I mentioned. So he would have been around uh, a lot of Jewish people, Arnie Roth, his friend mm-hmm. was Jewish, right? So he, I'm sure he learned a lot of things from, from them and their family. You know, a lot of these were first generation or second generation Jews. They had family back in Germany, you know, so they, they knew what was going on in a way that, that, you know, other people didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, that, that was part of it. Um, and then, you know, also if you look at, at, at the people who, uh, who were opposed to fascism early on? Uh, it's interesting. They 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 were called after the war began. What did they call them? Um, premature anti-fascists. Huh. Steve Rogers was kind of a premature anti-fascist. But um, you know, the 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 main group that you think of historically that were that was that were people who went and fought in the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. The Spanish Civil War is a is a fascinating thing. And you know, if, if you hate history, I guess this podcast really isn't going to be for you. But if you like history, hopefully, you know, it'll be something people are interested in. Um, but the Spanish Civil War was there was an elected uh, coalition government because Spain, unlike the U.S., was a lot like most European countries are today, where, the, you know, there's there's not just two political parties. There are several and they make coalitions. And it was a left wing coalition. You know, uh, it was socialists and communists and, and liberals and things. And they were elected. Uh, in Spain to be the government. Uh, and uh, there was this fascist um, uh, civil war that was created by Franco, um, who tried to overthrow that government. And there were people from all over the world uh, that went to Spain to fight 
you know, against against this fascist uh, group that Franco had. And the U.S. stayed neutral, uh, but uh, Germany sent uh, and Italy sent armaments to Franco. And eventually they they won. They won the Spanish Civil War. Franco was in power in Spain until the 70s when he died. Um, but uh, but so. You know, it was a time where people were were really interested in and in backing up what they what they said and what they believed, right? Mm -hmm. So if you believed in, uh, you know, um, not not just a left wing government, but an elected government that the people wanted in Spain, there were people, you know, thousands of guys from America that joined what that was called the Abraham Lincoln Battalion and went to Spain and fought and died in Spain. And Steve, you know, might have he would have been aware of it. The the Spanish Civil War was a big kind of debating topic in the U.S. at the time, you know, but these were people who had integrity and they walked the walk and they, you know, um, they, 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 uh, they followed their beliefs and backed them up. Let me ask you this, Chris, because um, we've had this discussion on here before. And in fact, we've asked listeners um, and none of the five of them have, have, um, have responded yet, <laughs> but we've asked, you know, because Steve Rogers is Irish Catholic. Right. And of course, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby are, are, are Jewish origins. And so Steve, blonde hair, blue eyed. Right. So do you think there was a method to the madness of creating Cap as, uh, as a blonde haired blue eyed, you know, right. Kid instead of a brown haired, brown eyed, you know, kid. Um, right. Yeah. Maybe, you know, uh, Simon and shoot or uh, Siegel and, uh, uh, oh my God, the guys who created Captain America. Um, Joe not, Simon and uh, Jack Kirby. No, no, the guys who created Superman. Uh, Siegel oh, and Siegel uh, and Schuster. Schuster, thank you, Rick. I was having a senior moment, but you know they they create his, you know they created a wasp, but but like you said, Bob, he was you know he had dark hair and dark eyes. So I mean, I could see either of those guys, Joe or Jack, you know, and I I'm not an expert on either of them, but I I could see them doing that, you know, and you look at some of the stuff Kirby did when he was over at DC, he had a character, um, called the funky flash man, who was a, um, he was a takeoff on Stan, the man Lee. And oh, it, yeah, it was a yeah. critical, like, you know, cause Stan was kind of a used car salesman and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was not Jack, you know? And so Jack really was picking on Stan with this character that he put in DC. So I, I could see Jack, you know, thinking that way, let's, let's make it be a, you know, the Aryan ideal. I, I could definitely see that happening, you know? Right. Well, big social movement of, of the time, right? Clearly conflict brought up the, the, the Franco you know, inspired civil war. Yeah. So let's, you know, maybe move on a little bit to, you know, um, Steve's befriending of, of Sam Wilson, right? Because that was also another right. period of great, uh, you know, uh, turmoil in American society. Um, yeah, where yeah. there were people lining up on both sides of, of the divide and, and he chose to take one particular path. So, yeah. And, yeah. and, and also let's just remind everybody that that's a, a, a skip in a couple decades, right? You know, so we are jumping a little bit here from, from the great depression to uh, him in during the sixties, which in Marvel yeah. time wouldn't be right now, but, but at the time they were writing this during the sixties, which yeah. did have, you know, that up, um, you know, that, that uproar, as you, as you mentioned, but I, I think the focus of, of talking about that is going to be based on a man from the great depression in that time period and how he's reacting. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not to say that, 
you know, I mean, all of us are um, put together from a number of influences, you know, I mean, so, so Steve's his own person, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, th but this particular um, approach that I'm taking is, is what about the thirties might've fed into who he was, but, you know, uh, the sixties was the other great period of social unrest and protest, you know, but the thirties was, was the first one in the 20th mm -hmm. century. And, um, you know, uh, lynching would have been a common thing uh, in the 30s, not not in New York City, of course, but in the South. And people were aware of it. You know, there was a big anti-lynching movement going on uh, throughout the country. There was a, a big case that became nationally famous and internationally famous called the Scottsboro Boys. These were nine uh, black kids who were riding the rails looking for work and they got accused of rape by a couple of white girls. And um, and that uh, galvanized the nation, you know, so Steve would have been aware of that. And, you know, Steve being Steve might have felt he needed to he needed to have an opinion on that. He needed to come down on what was right and wrong about that sort of thing. Um, but uh, the other thing about the, the Depression, it was a great leveling period. So um, the uh, the poor whites and the poor blacks. Um, weren't quite as antagonistic towards each other necessarily, necessarily in the thirties, because everybody was kind of in this together, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, some of that might've infused it. Um, uh, but, uh, but for him to, to so quickly kind of be part of the civil, you know, kind of accept the civil rights movement at that time and Sam and everything makes me think of, uh, there's a really great documentary called Riding the Rails, and it's about these guys who were teenagers that rode the rails uh, in the 30s. And it talks about, you know, what happened to all those guys when they got older. And, um, you know, a lot of them got involved in the civil rights movement. Uh, you, know, they, you know, they all kind of went to war. Um, but then later on, they were involved in the civil rights movement and the anti-Vietnam War movement, you know. And so, their experiences in the 30s, especially for them riding the rails and getting a sense of the country and, 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 and what was regular people were struggling through, um, made them very, um, you know, sympathetic to the, uh, the concerns of others. And uh, so I think this was part of the, the zeitgeist of the time that, that Steve probably uh, absorbed, you know. Yeah, I, I know, obviously, when that came out, um, there was some reaction to it um, because I think there was a certain, you know, uh, there was that fraction in the country. Um, and I do think some some followers of the Captain America character probably fell into an area where they maybe did not like uh, the black culture or black people or, or whatever, and probably were a little offended. I think there were some letters that were sent in and, and things like that. So it was an interesting choice um, by Stanley at that time. And uh, I think, you know, we're, we're all here. We are sitting so many decades later, looking back and saying, but of course, Steve would have done that. That's who Steve is. But at that time, that was new. And that was something that you know really hadn't he hadn't shown before in so many ways. This was a major step, and right. so uh, and we're all better for it. Yeah, and you know, um, I mean, certainly the, um, the 
there was the Harlem Renaissance going on in the 30s. So, right. you know, swing music and jazz had infused the culture. You know, he would have been aware of that. He would have been aware of probably where it came from, how it started. Duke Ellington, you know, Louis Armstrong, things like that. Um, he would have been aware of a, sto- uh, of a story about an opera singer, a black opera singer named Marian Anderson, who um, was barred from singing at Constitution Hall by the Daughters of the American Revolution. Yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt, who was a very important figure and a well-known figure in the 30s, uh, she, uh, she resigned from the DAR because of that. And uh, along with FDR's Secretary of the Interior, arranged for Marian Anderson to sing at the Lincoln Memorial. So Marian Anderson, the first song she sang at the Lincoln Memorial was My Country Tis of Thee. And so, you know, that would have been on the newsreels uh, or the radio that Steve was listening to. And mm-hmm. He would have been aware of things like that. You know, it's funny. I mean, Rick he makes a, a really valid point uh, obliquely. Um, but <laughs> Why, thanks, Bob. You know, it's just that, uh, you know, of course, when we're talking about Steve Rogers, right, or Captain America, what we're really talking about is a composite character, right, that's been created by... 80 years worth of writers who have contributed along the right. way to reinforcing certain aspects of his character or de-emphasizing other ones. And so when we think about, you know, of course, his, his friendship with Sam Wilson and how that butted into a partnership, then we, you know, we go forward and, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Nick Spencer's Captain America Generations, which was a one shot, I think it was yeah. around 2017 that came out. What really interesting story where, you know, very early on in, in Steve Rogers' career as Captain America, he encounters um, Sam Wilson, um, who has come back in time uh, and encounters him on the battlefield. And, and Sam becomes a bit of a mentor to uh, young Steve, who is just, you know, sort of tentatively exploring what he is capable of. And it's a, it's a, you know, it's a wonderful story. And then, of course, you look at, you know, Mark Wade's Man Out of Time miniseries, where, you know, Steve mm-hmm. has an opportunity to go back and, and he encounters that young black man um, uh, at the baseball game, right? right? And, right. and he approaches him in a way that is incongruent with what, what the black man expects for that period. Right. Um, and so along the way, we see that characteristic of, of Steve sort of reinforced over time by subsequent writers and, and yeah. gives us what we expect to see now from Steve. And I, I think it's important to remember that, you know, we can talk about what the majority accepted culture was in a time period, but that doesn't mean that everybody was that way. So you can say in the 30s, the majority accepted culture was a culture of segregation, you know, um, especially in the South, but but there was some of that in the North. But that doesn't mean that everybody, you know, uh, agreed with that or felt that way. And so, uh, and I don't I don't think Steve did either. You know, another thing is I've thought, and uh, it's a good thing Rick can edit. So anything you know that I'm rambling on too much about, Rick, you can you can edit afterwards. But um, which will give you more work to do. But you know, I also think about the fact that when Stern and Byrne in in uh, their origin story, it talks about him you know, reading fantasy and escaping from the depression in fantasy and things like that. So, you know, you think about it, if you're into science fiction, you know, and he would have been reading amazing stories with stories by Asimov and, and things like that, you expect the future to be different. You expect it to be more egalitarian. You expect it to be, you know, uh, have, have, have moved beyond petty things. So I could see where Steve Rogers, who was into, you know, those kind of stories, uh, you know, um, John Carter, Warlord of Mars was popular then, you know, and all that sort of stuff. I would have expected the future to be be a, a different place where some of these petty things we had gotten over. And so was really willing to jump right in and accept those things, you know. All right. I'm editing all that out. 
<laughs> do you think uh, do you think that uh, do you think is Steve Rogers watched uh, Star Trek on TV in the, in the 1960s? Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course, right? That progressive society of the future. And, yeah. Yeah, it would have been right up his alley, maybe. 100%. So, I, you know, I noticed, you know, because you did send some notes in advance about what you were going to talk, and I'm really curious um, about Mad Mom, because you mentioned that particular storyline as, yeah. as, 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 as an evidence for um, this uh, mentality, this character trait of Steve Rogers and his yep. uh, do for others. So, how do you connect the dots on that one? Yeah. Well, for me, Mad Bomb is such a quintessential Kirby story because Kirby was, um, well, I think there's a panel that sums it up. And I'm not sure if it's a Mad Bomb or not, but it's from that run where Cap says to Sharon, somebody's got to fight for the little guy, you know? And, um, and, and I think that's, that's, that's the way Kirby felt. And that was, that's, that's the 30s ethos in a nutshell, you know? It's, mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's about, um you know the 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 little guy and um you know which translates into i don't know what do you want to call it the 99 percent, i guess to use a, a recent term you know but um so you know the mad mad bomb is a story about you know a bunch of really rich guys uh who want to take over things and they want to keep regular folks you know in their place working hard you know, creating all the wealth so they can take it, you know? Um, and that was very much w a, a thought in the thirties, you know, I was like, well, wait a minute, why, why is the economy tanked? Why is there no, you know, uh, Henry Ford's doing fine. The Rockefellers are doing fine, but we're all screwed. And, and for years and years now, we haven't been able to, to get ahead, you know, what, what, what's going on there. So there was this, um, that this sense that, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that, that we need to do something for the little guy and not, and, and, and have a society that, that takes care of regular folks and average folks, you know, uh, and looks after them. And I just feel like there's a lot of that in Mad Bomb, you know, and that ethos comes out of the, the thirties. Uh, there's a lot of talk about workers. He uses the word over and over again in the Mad Bomb story. He doesn't say people or, you know, or even the little guy that much, he talks about workers, you know, and that's very much a 1930s uh, way of looking at things, you know, and understanding that, you know, people are workers um, and they, they deserve, uh, you know, to be treated well and, uh, and for their work to be meaningful to them so they can have a, a decent life and a decent retirement and things like that, you know, and that comes out of the 30s, that comes out of, you know, the programs that not just FDR, but the Congress of the time did, you know, that was all called the New Deal, ending the 40-hour work week, ending child labor, or starting the 40-hour work week, you know, um, uh, minimum wage, all those, you know, kind of economic things come out of the 30s that we take for granted today. So, yeah, Rick, see, this is why I come here every Tuesday night, right? Because, I mean, that's a deconstruction of that particular story arc that I had not heard before. And, uh, and I've often said, every time I come on this show, Rick is, you know, regaling me with a new way of, of appreciating a story. And tonight I can thank Chris for giving me a sort of a new lens to go and take a look at the Mad Bomb story arc, which maybe we should do on the show. I've, I've mentioned it before. It's a little long. Yeah, it's we'd eight have, issues. Yeah. Yeah. We'd have to break it up, but it might be something to consider in the future. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll yeah. certainly take a look at that. So Chris, now we're going into the, the red decade. Mm -hmm. And um, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, you know, the fear of World War III, I think. 
because uh, there was the, the Defenders <clears throat> crossover that, that happened uh, with Captain yeah. America and the Defenders. Yeah, there was uh, it was a DeMatteis. Um, he was writing Defenders at the same time as he was writing Cap, you know, and there was uh, there's and it's a very specific page um, where uh, they there this guy has been employing psychics and he wants to, you know, this was during the Cold War. This is the Soviet Union was still around and he wants to employ psychics to get rid of Russia, um, to get rid of the Soviet Union. He says, if we get rid of the Soviet Union, then we can have peace because there won't be any rival to the United States. And um, DeMatteis' cap was very passionate. And uh, every once in a while, he would get angry. And he punches the guy. I mean, he just knocks him on his ass. Um, and Zek draws it perfectly. Nobody can draw a righteously indignant cap like, like Zek could. And, um, Amen, brother. And just, yeah, yeah. And so I, I just thought about, you know, you know, because then, then Cap goes on to say that, you know, what I fought for uh, and what I believe in is not about dividing people. It's about bringing people together, you know. And the thing about the 30s is, and this is a topic that even today, right? I mean, how much it's, you know, it's 2023, but people still get nervous when you talk about communists and socialists and things like that, you know. Um, but the American Communist Party had the most influence it ever had at that time in the 30s. The Socialist Party, when FDR crushed Herbert Hoover in the election of 32, um, you know, the, the socialist candidate got a million votes. Um, so um, so it, it, it had, there are many names for the, the Great Depression, but one of them is the Red Decade. Um, and that's partly because it was the decade of what was called the Popular Front. Uh, that was when uh, Russia and, and Stalin, right? Cause he was the dictator. It was all his decisions. So Stalin decided that instead of trying to fight against capitalism completely, as he saw the rise of fascism, uh, which was, you know, the antithesis of communism, um, that he wanted to make common cause with liberal governments, uh, with the socialists, cause the socialists and the communists had never got along. Um, so, uh, the popular front era was the thirties where, uh, there was, kind of a truce amongst a lot of these groups. And so, um, you know, communists were more involved in things that were going on. They, and they were the ones that were kind of getting things done, you know, because they were very passionate and dedicated and just a little bit fanatical and not always in a good way, but it was, so they were getting a lot done in the thirties. And so that, that's, that's kind of why it was called the red decade, but it also made everybody afraid that there were communists uh, on, you know, behind everything, you know, and, and, and there was this real belief that all communists are foreigners, which was not true at all. You know, so it's like foreign agitators have come in and, and caused this strike to happen. You know, no, they didn't. They were regular Americans. Some of them were in the Communist Party. Some of them were, you know, I mean, um, so it had a lot of influence. It was never that huge. I didn't, there might have been 375,000 people in the Communist Party at the time, you know. But um, and a lot of people joined it, like people like Pete Seeger and and a lot of screenwriters in Hollywood and, and other people, because they were the ones that seemed to be getting things done. You know, the communists were for racial integration. So they I talked about the Scottsboro boys earlier. Right. You know, who funded their their um, their defense early on Communist Party, of the United States of America, you know, um, and, and it's a whole separate topic. There were a lot of negative things about the communist party of the, the, the u.s but but there were positive things and people were aware of them at the time so that so that's why i i talk about the red decade but um you know so cap wouldn't have been i think as terrified of the soviet union you know i mean cap is obviously um a small d democrat there's no doubt about that you know so he wouldn't agree with the totalitarian aspects of it 
but some of the 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 more you know um, some of the economic ideas and things he wouldn't have been as terrified of it so this idea that there's some terrible boogeyman that need to be wiped out that you know somebody from the 30s that had his experiences is not going to feel that way you know um and then of course his experiences with them as allies in world war ii um so uh so there's yeah. that and i also think that the other thing is that he hits the guy about is you know this 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 warlike attitude that we have to we have to wipe people out and i think he was also influenced by the anti-war beliefs that happened after world war one because people don't remember that fascism one of the big things about fascism is militarism like if you're against making war you have to be against fascism you know yeah right yeah, I mean, and you, I mean, that's a really great point about the, you know, Cap Group in the 30s, which was really the interregnum between the, the 20s Red Scare, right? And then the subsequent Red Scare, which Absolutely. of course he, he slept through. So he, he kind of grew up in that golden, you know, era where there was a little bit more cooperation to, to be had. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, uh, we actually, um, you mentioned the fact that the prison stories, and of course, one of them was by by Al Milgram and Alan Kupperberg, and that was in uh, issue 260, which we covered in episode 72. And we talked to Al Milgram in, in episode 73 of the podcast. And then there was a, you know, a subsequent. Bob, you just, you just took my job. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we I, were alternating. I, I, I usually, I usually tell people what episodes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because usually I can't remember. <laughs> Did you actually look that up? That's true. I, Usually, I, I, you did, I did. I did look it up. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, my my. I feel like my my job is to just lighten your load a bit. Oh my god. That's what I'm all about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Remind me to put a help wanted ad. <laughs> Also, I've uh, I've finished off my Jamesons, so I, I you know what I did. I'm feeling too. more cooperative at this point. I did too. I, th <laughs> so. I think uh, I think I need a, a a little a pause here. Oh, all right, okay, all right. You you two could talk about yourselves, and I'll edit it out. All right, <laughs> I'll be back in a minute. All right, okay. good. So, and then and then of course in volume three there was uh, uh, you know um, issue twenty three, which was another prison story that. Um, sort of juxtaposed, not juxtaposed, but, you know, sort of delved a little bit again into, you know, Cap's experience behind bars and, yeah. um, and what he was trying to achieve back there. So how do the prison stories, um, episode uh, issue 260 and, and issue 23 of volume three, how do those speak to Cap's character? Uh, you know, both of those um, speak to this, this sort of um, I don't know. It's 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 kind of lampooned in like the 1960s Batman TV series where it's like, you know, well, I'm sure that they can be rehabilitated, you know, and that that sort of thing. But he even says basically that in that Al Milgram story, you know, he's like, right. Yeah, you know, there's a young kid in the prison. Right. And I, you know, yeah. I think, that you know, if he's under the right influences, he'll be um, he will be, uh, you know, he can be rehabilitated. And then there's also part of that in that in that wonderful Mark Wade story in number mm. 23. And so, you know, it's this idea that's very much part of the 30s, it's very much part of the social realist movement, which I'll get to in a second, that there was this understanding that your circumstances have a lot to do with, you know, the choices that you can make and therefore the choices that you do make, you know? Sure. So there was this real concern about, well, how does poverty affect people? How does it make them do the things they do? Would I be able to rise above it or would I be the same way, you know? Right. Um, and so... 
there, you know, there was this concern about the poor and the destitute, and you see it in the art. Okay, uh, the art of the '30s is is very realistic, and it's about you know what is it like for the working man and the poor people and things like that. You know, Grant Wood, uh, John Stuart Curry, T. H. Benton, uh, Thomas Hart Benton were the big artists of the time, and they were not doing abstract stuff. They were doing regular folks, farmers, poor people, workers. So there was this. As I, and I've said it before, but that the 30s was all about kind of what's going on with regular folks. And there was this understanding that your circumstances can affect what you become. And you don't you see that, especially in the Warner Brothers movies of the time. All those gangster movies, James Cagney, Humphrey Bogart, Edward G. Robinson, all those movies, um, you know, Angels with Dirty Faces, Roaring Twenties, Little Caesar, Public Enemy. Great classic movies. If you haven't checked them out, check some of those out. But they're all about, you know, well, this guy came from a terrible situation. And so a lot of this had to do with why he became a criminal and a gangster, you know. And so I think that that understanding from the 30s uh, causes Cap to react that way when he's in prison to the idea that, well, you've got to have a better atmosphere where you are, um, you know, encouraging these people to be their best selves instead of their their worst selves, you know. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like, I mean, that's his, obviously that's his, 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 uh, his inspiration, his motivation, whatever for, for accepting Hawkeye, right. Accepting black widow into the event. Uh, yeah, so exactly. Both, Diamondback even, right. Right. Diamondback. Right. We can go on yes. and on, right. Jet, you know, in the, in, in volume seven, of course, and, and on and on examples yeah. of, of cap willing to give uh, ne'er-do-wells a second chance because, their circumstances were likely the cause of what put them on that road in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what I missed. Oh, nothing. Rick. Okay. No. Did we just did, kind of stared at each other. Nobody said anything. <laughs> okay. Did Bob tell you this is his usual halftime? Uh, what happens? Yeah. This is usually when my, my cat wakes up in the window seat and wants to leave. Uh-huh. And starts and then I let him out and then like five minutes later he he scratches and meows to come back in so right right but See, usually these are the little things I don't realize when I'm just hearing the edited podcast yeah right. halfway through the show I'm like all right Bob I'll do it I'll be right back and then I just right. get up and he's like uh, okay yeah and, and then, then I then, get myself uh, a refresher and I come back with a snack or some or some oh. vegetable sticks no, or today some it's terra potato chip. Oh, he's got pistachios. Lightly oh. salted. He's watching his sodium today. So good. Glad to. <laughs> awesome. All right, please continue. Well, we just we were just talking about the the prison stories from from Milgram and and, uh, and Wade. So yeah, and then Bob had a great insight into how that same characteristic of Cap leads him to you know to. Um, to accept Diamondback and Hawkeye and all these other, you know, ex-criminals. Are you yeah. a second chance guy, Rick? I am, Bob. I, I am I, too. I, I am. I believe yeah. people make mistakes. Yeah. As long as you show remorse, as long as you show um, that, you know, you made a mistake, you recognize the mistake and that you are sorry for the mistake, then yes, second chance. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, I asked that because I, I mean, I hired two people recently. I hired one in December. I just hired one recently in February. And um, both of them, one of the, you know, I very had a hard time deciding here, but one of the really strong uh, factors that uh, augured in their, in their favor was the fact that both, for both of them, it was a second chance. Uh, very different circumstances. Neither one of them really to blame, you know, mm-hmm. per se. 
but but it was an opportunity for me to get back engaged in the sort of work that that we do at the organization that I work for. And so I was just really moved by by the fact that they wanted this opportunity. It was something they were striving for. And you know, you know, in one case, the guy was a little bit older and he'd been out of it for a while. The other person had been out of it for 10 years, but but it was something she wanted to come back to and try again. And, and so that, that really moved me. And so I, I love second chances. Did you, like, did you just set me up, Bob? I try. I try to always set you up. Did you I set think. me up? Like, you know, Hey Rick, what do you think of second chances? That way we can just <laughs> talk about your yep. wonderful That's patch it. on the back there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah. Um, now yeah. I'm waiting. All right. Uh, oh, that Bob, that is very cool of you. I can't, you Thank know you, what? That means a lot coming from you. It really does. I, I can't I think, tell you what it means. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm all about second chances. I mean, my God, you're still on this show after what? How many episodes? <laughs> right. Yeah. So like 347 episodes so far. So. Oh my God. Math. Okay. <laughs> all right. I think we're moving on. Rick, right. yeah. uh, now, that, now, now that you're back from your, your bathroom call uh, to cap value. <laughs> it was a refresher, Bob. It's a nightcap. Okay. Okay, okay, we should probably call it nightcaps, plural. Nightcap. It should definitely be nightcaps. So yeah, I, some of us to... didn't have five fingers on their first drink, Bob. <laughs> some of us some of us only had two fingers. Well, I've, and I'm have all to, about, and you have to catch up. I'm all about efficiency. So uh, cap value number two, doing it right. Yeah. It's not doing it right <laughs> I, I love saying it though it's my it's my should sam I, wilson take should i have like a little you know porn music in the background you know <laughs> bound chicka bound bound doing it right no doing it's do it, it right. right do All the right. right thing okay do the right thing yep. i'm sticking yep. to doing it right <laughs> yeah so that was honesty integrity courage and perseverance so um which is your favorite, Chris, of those four? Which which would you say? Oh man, you know, um, I think integrity. Maybe I mean they're all they're all great, but I, I think integrity because it's integrity is about not only do you do you see what well, not only do you have beliefs and values, but if you have integrity, then you're going to follow up on those and you're going to try to be consistent with those, even when it's hard. So I. I, I I agree. I think I, I think you nailed it. I think integrity is the one that is probably the one I would want to be most associated with. However, if you were to ask my kids, uh, my wife, uh, people close to me, they know they would be like, oh, honesty. Honesty is dad's, is Rick's. It's his big thing. I'm a, a big you know, proponent of honesty and, and being honest and, you know, but see, being honest to me is more than just telling the truth. Being honest means not stealing, not, you know, um, bearing false witness, not, you know, doing a lot of different things, you know, to be honest. So anyway, but how about you, Bob? What's, uh, what, which of these four stands out to you? I, I, no, I do like integrity. I, I, you know, I remember, uh, throughout my, you know, my, my upbringing, of course, but, but per, uh, principally through my time at, uh, you know, military college. Of course, I, we, we labored under an honor code and integrity was always drilled in as, you know, doing, doing the right thing, even when nobody's watching, mm. which, you know, is, is, is a saying that, you know, it, it's very brief, of course, and it's very pithy, but, but it's, you know, it's pregnant with a lot of, a lot of meaning. 
that you do the right thing when when nobody is watching, which is often the hardest thing, right? When nobody's yeah. watching, it's easy to 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 do the right thing when everybody's eyes are on you, but when, mm -hmm. when it's not, then and uh, and so I think that one is particularly important, you know, with Cap. Right. He, of course, he perseveres and he has great physical and moral courage and, and he's honest, but but he always strives to do the right thing, even when nobody is watching him. You know what else is, Bob, too, uh, in, in doing when when no one's looking is uh, giving people second chances. I think doing that when no one's looking and, yeah. and no one else knows about it is probably holds a little bit more weight. Uh, yeah, maybe a little yeah. more more quality. Um but, well, uh, but I'm sorry, Bob, what were you saying before? Go ahead. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, the reason I brought that up is there was a little bit of a funny story, but of course you hijacked it. So for your own humorous purposes, <laughs> but I happened to mention this to, uh, to my, one of my employees and, uh, and it was just sort of a casual, you know, I'm like, I guess I really believe in second chances. And, you know, I talked about the other employee and, you know, and, and it's no secret, you know, and, and, and I said, and the same thing with you, you know, you wanted to come back and, you know, and, and so she sat on that for like three or four days. And then over the weekend, I got a text message or an email rather. And she was like, very upset that, um, I had said that because she felt I was undervaluing what she had to offer to the organization. And I, you know, I patiently, I called her up and I patiently explained, like, no, I, I didn't mean it that way. You actually said that, like, you had worked for us 10 years ago, it briefly as, you know, in, in capacity, part-time capacity. And then you went and did something else, a career for 10 years. And then you came back um, and you applied for this job because you want, you, you realized that what you were doing wasn't right for you anymore. And you wanted to try to do this again and get back into this work. And that really, that connected with me, you know, as somebody that I felt like I had a second chance and, and, and I like giving second chances. And so I, you know, that's how I was trying to explain it to her, but she, you know, I don't know, she must've had a rough weekend or something. And she, all right, Chris, well, we're talking about Captain America. And so one of the things that we like about Cap is that he has honesty, integrity, courage, and perseverance. Uh, perhaps maybe you could talk a little bit about that in, um, in the next section. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the first uh, issues that I chose was 130. Uh, 130 has this great speech that I'm sure a lot of, you know, the Facebook fans are familiar with where um, uh, Cap is supposed to go on this program and um, diss some campus protesters. Uh, which of mm. course was a big issue when 130 came out. I mean, that was in the late 60s, yeah. um, or maybe even early 70s. But um, and he says, "But in a pig's eye, I'm not going to do that because America was founded by people who, you know, protested the way Britain was treating us." You know, um, and you know, so to me, that there's an integrity there. Um, there were people from Cap's generation that didn't skip the 20 years that he did. That um, that didn't like the, the superficialities of the campus protest, these young kids, you know, and they got long hair and all that. And, mm. you know, so we're against hippies. yeah, Rick exactly. So Rick does not like people with long hair. <laughs> 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 right, go on. The, the non follically challenged, you mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, well, probably at that time, you know, the, some of the, a lot of the greatest generation people were in their forties and were losing their follicles too. So they were probably jealous, but, um, you know, so, you know, uh, you know, to me that that's cap having integrity there, 
you know, because, um, you know, he believes that uh, the United States is, um, you know, the, the ideals of the U.S. are about, you know, being able to, uh, uh, to speak your mind. He certainly would have saw that a lot in the 30s. Um, you know, in the 30s, especially in New York City, every street corner had a guy on a soapbox, like literally, right? That's where that phrase comes from, you know, somebody getting on a soapbox and talking about what they think is wrong. You know, you'd see that in the parks and things like that, you know, and people would either gather around and say, yeah, we agree with you. What should we do? Or they'd be like, that guy's a crackpot and keep walking, you know, but that was very much a part of the thirties the was people speaking their mind and, and demanding uh, what they wanted, marches in the streets and protests. So I think very much, for somebody who was young in the 30s to see that kind of protesting in the 60s, especially if you skip the interim years mm -hmm. uh, and didn't get old with, you know, a lot of the other folks, uh, then he would totally be uh, on their side. So um, very interesting. I, yeah, I, <clears throat> I'm glad you brought that perspective because I'd, I'd really never thought of. You know, I, I'm not a historian. I, I didn't I didn't study a lot of the the socioeconomic um, happenings that were going on during these different decades. So this is a pretty interesting insight to see what did Steve witness during his time and what did he not, you know, because right. it happened before him or he happened while he was uh, frozen or so forth. So yeah. uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, and you know, Roger Stern talks about the 30s being a decade of a lot of protests and campus protests in his, the very first, he writes a little thing uh, about Cap either before he starts or right at the beginning of his run um, with Byrne and, and talks about, you know, Cap came from this era and it was an era of great, you know, social protest. Yeah, and, and, and he remained consistent in his support of, of people's, um, you know, right to protest. You know, all yeah. the way up through, of course, the modern mm -hmm. era, and that was—I mean, obviously, it wasn't always the case back in the back in the early golden age comics. He he didn't have that sort of uh, sentimentality toward you know the right to protest, uh, yeah. and that's you know well established in the comics. But of course, that's that's a different era, right? Th those were written for different audiences at a different time and different context, and, and largely divorced from from what we see today. So I, I think I've heard maybe it was in the the. the the Captain America comic book fans Facebook group. I, I can't remember, but I know you've talked about um, the secret empire nomad run and, yeah. and how that evidenced his, um, his commitment to honesty and integrity. And, and really, you know, we've talked about this. I think maybe we haven't talked about it on the show, but I know we Rick and I have talked about it offline a number of times in this idea of moral injury and, and, and when cap cap feels uh, Steve feels betrayed by um, by the institutions that he put his faith in. And, and this is one of those times where, where um, you know, at the end of, of course, the, the secret empire run, when, the bad guy, the bad guy, right? The President Nixon stand-in decides right. to off himself rather than to, to be honest, to have integrity and face justice. Yeah, yeah. I think Secret Empire is is a, a real worthwhile one to talk about. And I and because I, I see it when you look at it through the lens of somebody who grew up in the 30s and somebody who uh was an anti-fascist and, and fought in World War II and all that, you know, that was an era, that was the New Deal era. And so that was an era when not, not just, you know, the executive branch, but the congressional, the legislative branch as well, was uh, involved in uh, trying to support the people and help the people. I mean, the, the, the number of programs and the revolutionary almost changes that happened 
in the United States in the 30s is is incredible. So um, it makes sense that Steve would have felt like, well, of course you can trust government. They're on our side, you know. I was just reading uh, not too long ago. There's a book by E.L. Doctorow. He's an author who wrote um, Billy Bathgate and Ragtime. And he grew up in the 30s. He wrote a book about growing up in the 30s called World's Fair. And and he he was Jewish. And he and he and he's talking about um, how he felt like you know you couldn't trust a lot of people, but you could trust your family and maybe President Roosevelt. And a lot of people felt that way. Um, because of the fireside chats that Roosevelt gave over the radio and things like that, and that the government was now everywhere doing all kinds of things, you know, um, they were giving jobs to young men in the CCC camps, you know, they they built, uh, you know, uh, parks and roads and uh, schools and airports and post offices, you know, and they paid artists to uh, you know, uh, uh, decorate all this stuff. I mean, it, it would certainly fit into the story of Steve Rogers. If he was an artist that he would have had a WPA job, you know, doing some paintings or something like that. So this was a very active government in, uh, trying to help people's lives. Social security was passed during the great depression, you know, um, federal deposit insurance until then a bank failed, you were screwed if you lost your money. You know, but but now we're insured up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars because of that legislation. You know, so it was all kinds of things that were being done uh, by the government. So you know, so if you're that guy, right, and then you miss all the in between, and all of a sudden, boom, you're dropped into the Watergate era, or you know, a couple of years before that, um, it that's going to blow your mind right, that yeah. that the government is is that way because um, you certainly wouldn't have seen it that way in the '30s. You know, yeah. and and whatever negatives were going on in the government in the 30s you probably wouldn't have been as aware of in the 30s anyways you know the 70s uh information was much more out there about that kind of stuff so it to me it just it really fits a story about a guy from that era that he finds that out and he's like screw it i can't believe it that we have a, had a government that was acting for its own best interest and not the the common good because the 30s was all about the common good and so he gives up and then i love what engelhardt has him do when he realizes wait a minute I'm supposed to fight all the enemies of the American ideals. And it was okay to fight the red skull because he was obvious, mm-hmm. but I should be fighting, you know, the secret empire and, uh, and, and basically what he's saying, and it's kind of a message to all of us, you know, is we should be fighting a government that doesn't, that doesn't do what's best for the common good, you know, and kept saying, you know, I, I should be too. If I'm really captain America, then I should be fighting anything that goes against what's what's best for the common good and he puts the uniform back on i think it's great great stuff yeah and you i mean earlier i mean i don't think you mentioned it earlier but you know when we talked about this previously you talked about the fact that you know steve very early on young was steeped in the four freedoms and fdr's second bill of rights and the atlantic charter and all these these statements about you know what the common man has a right to Right. Not just freedom of speech, not just freedom of assembly, but freedom to have a good house, have a good, you know, living, have medical care, all these sorts of things. Right. Yep. Um, yep. Was what everybody deserved. Yeah. And, you know, that was very much part of the zeitgeist at the time. Like, look, look at this mug. This is these are the four freedoms by Norman Rockwell. Everybody's familiar with, you know, these paintings. I mean, Rock, Norman Rockwell did the paintings of the four freedoms, uh, freedom from what? you know, uh, freedom from fear, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of worship, you know, these were, these were a big part of, uh, um, 
kind of the attitude of, of the era. And certainly I think Steve bought into that, you know, and so he felt very betrayed by, by all that, I think. All right. You want to hit bicentennial battles quick? Let's do it. You know, that's another great uh, Kirby one, uh, which uh, uh, I mean, it, it, it got, it, it, it talks about all kinds of things, right? It takes cap through all of American history, you know, and, and he's trying to get um, the cavalry to not treat the Indians the way they do. Um, he's uh, trying to get these guys who are trying to apprehend an escaped slave to, to let him go, you know. Um, he's bemoaning uh, the invention of the atomic bomb, you know. He goes into the future and there's war on the moon and he's bemoaning the fact that, you know, man- mankind's got to change, you know. Uh, so, you know, that ties into all these things that we've been talking about. I don't need to reiterate things that we've been talking about with these other stories too, but but Bicentennial Battles uh, really is is a great story that brings together a lot of those thoughts. And I think how Kirby himself, right, was influenced right. by that era as well. Yeah. So, so let me mm-hmm. ask you this, right? And I don't want to, this will probably cause some controversy, right? But it does seem, right, that what, what Bicentennial Battles, you know, what, what Steve Cap is, is experiencing through the eyes of Kirby is, mm-hmm. is, is really all the problematic, well, not all of them, but a, a series of very problematic uh, mythologies in, you know, in American history, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, and so I don't want to psych, maybe not psychoanalyze Jack Kirby, but, you know, clearly in the 1970s, he must have been experiencing, um, you know, looking back on his life in history of the United States, some, some concerns. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, at the end, he ties it all together in a beautiful way with Cap with the kids, right? It's like that, well, th- that was me, <laughs> one of those kids in 1976. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the age of these children yeah. that are with him, you know, and I was being inspired in the same way. And he, you know, and, and so Kirby was saying, look, in spite of all these things, here's what America stands for, you know? And so we've got to keep moving it along and keep making it better and keep making it this land of opportunity for everybody, for everybody, you know? Amen. So Cap runs for president. Issue 250, or does he, right? He doesn't, right? right. He, he decides yeah. to beg off and, and not run for president. But what does that tell us about his character? Um, you know, I, it, I don't, it doesn't readily jump to my mind exactly what I was thinking when I, when I wrote that. Um, I mean, it's a great, it's a great issue. It's a great, great story, you know? Um, and, um, and he, you know, he does consider it, even after the whole secret empire uh thing he still you know he still thinks that somehow there's a way that you know that that politics and government can do good things for people you know but then he you know he comes down on the side that that's that's not what he represents right he understands that you have to compromise you know with politics and things like that so certainly you know fdr was the consummate politician right you know he was not you know he 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 made whatever compromises he had for the long-term goals and vision that he had down the road you know so, um, so, you know, Steve would have been obviously very much influenced by Roosevelt, I think, and, um, and an understanding of, you know, this is what a politician has to do. He kind of has to, you know, he has to have these values and these goals, but he's going to have to do what he has to do to get to them, you know, and, th- and realizing that in his role as cap, he, um, he can't do that. He can't, he can't right. make those compromises. It's a fundamentally different job. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then the last one, of course, is Mark Grunewald's great The Captain story. Yeah, um, which we so. covered extensively last yes. year, right, Rick? Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, Bob, perhaps maybe you can tell everybody rattle off all the different episodes. Yeah, yeah, covered I think it? it was like it was somewhere between, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think it was somewhere between episode five and 132. Excellent. Yeah. All right, Bob, way to be prepared for that one. Okay. All right, listeners, go ahead and find it yourself is what Bob yeah. is saying. Yeah. Yeah, no. what, I'm, what I'm encouraging our listeners to do, Rick, which I, I don't think that you would object to, is to just browse through the catalog of episodes. <laughs> because in browsing, you might find something that fits your interests. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, uh, no, Chris, we, we, we love this story, obviously, right? We covered it uh, in its full glory. Uh, we thought Mark Grunewald did an amazing job uh, taking Steve on this particular journey. So, Take take us through how this ties back to Steve being from the 30s, from the Great Depression, and why it translated into this story. Right. Um, you know, I think with the captain's story, I mean, it's a it's it's similar to Secret Empire Nomad, right? But but you know, the difference is that he's uh, you know he he talks about it in that great that great page where he hands in the uniform and he hands in the shield, you know, and he's like, look, I, um, you know, I can't, I can't be um, uh, representative of the government's policies, you know? Um, and that's also similar to what we talked about with Cap for Prez as well, you know? So there's, I mean, there's such a consistency that, that was carried through by these different authors with Cap, but um, you know, he, uh, but he decides to keep fighting crime, which he does as nomad as well. Right. Because the thirties was also about like, well, you know, it's, we all, we're, we all have to step up and, and try to do what we can to make a difference and to help each other. You know, if you get evicted, then your neighbors are going to come and move your furniture back in. Or sometimes if you're getting evicted, all your neighbors are going to come by and they're going to make sure that all that stuff that they're going to sell off, that the bank's going to sell off is only going to sell for a penny. Nobody's going to, um, they used, they did this in the thirties. Nobody's going to, um, uh, a bid over a penny for anything that's here. And then they give it back to the people so they can keep all their furniture, you know? Um, so, uh, and, and so, you know, I, I think once again, I'm not going to go through all the different things from the thirties that we've already talked about, but they, they all affect uh, how uh, cap reacts to, to, to this thing, you know? And, and I love, of course, John Walker is a great juxtaposition. I mean, it's Gru's way of telling us this is who mm -hmm. cap is, and this is who he's not. And he's not, you know, John Walker. And it's, and it's one, you know, he doesn't really, you know, Gru doesn't like turn John Walker into black headed villain either, you know, which is great. It's such a, a wonderful storyline. And, um, uh, you know, the, it, there isn't really, the only thing with the end of that is there isn't the big epiphany speech like there is at the end of the nomad one, you know? Um, but, uh, but, but I think it's, it's, it's all those things, you know, a guy who comes from the decade of protest, uh, a guy who comes from an era that, you know, uh, is, is, is against militarism, a guy who, uh, you know, is against fascism. Uh, he's, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not going to um, just become a tool of the military industrial complex, you know? And so mm -hmm. that, that ties into the captain's story as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. You know, I, I, First of all, Chris, thank you for coming on the show and, and taking us through this. Obviously, you have a lot of history, uh, no pun intended, with, um, with you know, just 
the whole Great Depression and 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 learning about that. You're you're obviously a, a big uh, buff on on the 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 details that went into that and and the decades to follow as well. So um, taking that and and uh, combining it to the a fictional character of Steve Rogers, who is very much someone we we all know he's fictional, but we don't really think of him that way. We think of him right. as as someone who is to aspire to. And so why do we aspire to the characteristics that Steve represents? And a lot of it comes from his upbringing, just like any of us. And so for you to kind of demonstrate what his upbringing was and how it translated into his views on all these different subjects was really, really interesting. So thank you for sharing that with us and the listeners. Well, thanks. It's my hope that that people will find it interesting. You know, I, I, I obviously do. And so uh, um, hopefully it's been, it's been fun for you guys and it'll be fun for, you know, the people that listen. Hey, before yeah. we, before we, uh, b- before we leave you, however, Chris, are there, are there some resources or something that you would encourage uh, listeners? People want to learn more about this era and, and where, uh, how and where and when cap might've grown up that uh, might be sure. uh, you know, illuminating for them. Yeah. You know, if, if you have, if if you can get through black and white movies, you know, on it like for me, black and white movies are no big deal. They were on TV all the time when I was a kid. Probably same for you guys, you know. But uh, but it but, so if that doesn't bother the, you, I watched the Three Stooges. Classic 1930s stuff, right there. <laughs> yeah, that's when they started, Rick. Um, but you know, if you've ever heard of Frank Capra, he directed "It's a Wonderful Life," which so many people know. Yes, um, the Frank Capra movie is full of that Cap kind of ethos. I know I've mentioned. Uh, to Rick before that there's a lesser known one from 1941 called Meet John Doe, mm. um, which Gary along Cooper. with It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck is just Meet John Doe is is such a great kind of cap movie. And it's it's about things that, you know, that are important today. You know, um, the things that they talk about in that movie. We, we need to we need to do nowadays in 2023, you know, but anything by Frank Capra is a great movie. Um, you know, I talked about the social realist artists, um, you know, even Picasso did a painting called Guernica, which is about it's a huge, very famous painting uh, about Guernica, Spain, which was bombed during the Spanish Civil War. You know, but the art of Thomas Hart Benton, uh, Norman Rockwell, I mentioned, you know, um, there's a great film. If I can mention this film, um, it's from 1999. It's called cradle will rock it has bill murray jack black susan sarandon uh it's set in the 30s it's it's done like a 30s movie um you know what we call sitcoms today were called screwball comedies and they were invented by frank capra in the 30s cradle rock is told like that it's all about true historical things that happened in the 30s it's entertaining as hell highly recommend Mm -hmm. that um another 30s movie or a book is the grapes of wrath that's the classic 1930s film and book it's with the film was directed by john ford a great director and then i would say you know if you want uh one book on the 30s uh if you're interested in this sort of thing if you like nonfiction, it's called the hungry years by th watkins and it's just a great overview of the whole uh 1930s and then if you're interested in a, in a documentary there's one just called the great depression it's a documentary by black side video and if you put that into youtube that would come up at several parts and it's very good yeah, and I think you also mentioned uh, there was an online essay, and and I read it because I like to be prepared. 
and it was by Stephen Attawell, and it's an online essay. And the title of it is Steve Rogers Isn't Just Any Hero. And you can, you can of course, Google that and it will pop right up. And it's an, it's an interesting essay and it touches on a lot of the themes that, that you've mentioned here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I got to say, I really, I, I loved uh, Rebecca de Mornay in The Cradle Will Rock. That was, oh. she was amazing uh, as that sexy um, person who came and watched the kids, right? <laughs> that, was yeah, that a, yeah. Was that a different? That's, um, that's a different movie. Yeah, because it has the thought. We just got <laughs> Yeah. No, that was the hand that rocks the cradle. The hand that rocks the cradle. Risky oh. business. She was great in risky business too. She was. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 I think. Shing. Okay. <laughs> no. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, hey, Chris. Thanks for being a, a a good sport and putting up with uh, with me during this whole thing. So uh, that, that our uh, inaugural. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Very glad to be part of the inaugural. Yeah. Um, cheers. Really cheers. It. Thank you guys for this podcast. I know it means a lot to so many of us and the Facebook group is wonderful. So, you know, it's thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, it's our pleasure. It's a labor of love and we do it because uh, of guys like you who appreciate it and, uh, and try to live the characteristics of Steve Rogers on a daily basis. So thank you for being on the show and thank you for being a patron. All right. Thanks. So, Next episode, I, I teased Bob that we've got a pretty cool guest coming. Not not that Chris isn't a cool guest, but yeah. but we have something that ties in with the favorite Captain America writer bracket, the March Madness tie-in, and we did Cap Madness, right? And making it all the way to the end was one Mr. Mark Grunewald. We are going to celebrate Mark Grunewald next episode. We're going to dive into his legacy as one of the all-time greatest Captain America writers. And we're going to have uh, his wife, Catherine Schuler Grunewald, on the episode uh, to talk with her. And we're going to have a few other special guests, little surprises. So make sure you come back. Uh, we'll talk with 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 Catherine and uh, and a few others about how how great Grunewald was to the Captain America mythos. Chris is clapping. So yes, as am I, because I missed the first opportunity to speak to Catherine way back in what was it, episode five or four or something like that? Way back. It was episode twelve, but you're was close. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, the, it was it episode was, twelve. It was the first year, and uh, that came out in or... February of twenty. What year did we start this? 2021, 20, right? 20, was it 21? Okay, yeah. so two years yeah. ago. Yeah, two years right? ago. Okay, over two yeah. years ago. All right, yeah. Yeah, you'll have an opportunity to finally talk with her. Exciting stuff. She's she's fun. She is a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, come back next episode for that. Uh, we're looking forward to it. It'll be a lot of, it'll be a blast. Um, all right, well then to, to Chris Norton, to Bob Lucius, uh, I'm Rick Verbanis. It has been so much fun wrapping cap with you, gentlemen. Well, I'll be back next week. <laughs> and I'll be listening. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Captain America comic book fans podcast. 